be with you here on um, a Sunday that I feel like post, um, post Thanksgiving, the Sunday always feels kind of like lazy. We're all kind of tired from hanging out with people that we may or may not want to have hung out with. Um, but this Sunday, I'm really happy to be with you and to be beginning our Advent series. We've spent the past gosh, six or seven months in the Sermon on the Mount, and so uh, we finally get a change if you've been sick of that. Um, Like uh, Jason said at the beginning of the service, we are beginning this series called Heaven and Earth Sing. I think it's timely in a lot of ways because this is the time of year when Christmas music starts to be played literally everywhere you go. I was in Panera the other day, and Let It Snow was playing. And I know some people love Christmas music. It's like super exciting, and Mariah Carey is, you know, everywhere, and you're having a blast. I, I'm, a, I'm a Grinch when it comes to Christmas music. I think it's mostly terrible and overrated, and I don't want to hear Santa Baby over and over again. Um, But music is like a big part of our Christmas experience. And I think there's some really great Christian um, Christmas music. Songs like O Come, O Come, Emmanuel are are really, um, yeah, a, a core part of this season. And what's really cool about the Christmas story, especially in the Gospel of Luke, is that in those two chapters, Luke 1 and 2, we get four different songs by people as they experience the first Christmas. Uh, So in this series, we're going to look at these songs and think about uh, what it means for us to sort of join in the first Christmas songs that were sung. So today's song is known as the Magnificat. It's the song sung by Mary, the mother of Jesus. It was read earlier, but a little bit of context, and we're going to look at it again. So what's happened so far in the story is not quite, not a ton. Luke begins his gospel with a little introduction to his reader, and then begins not, first of all, by telling the story of Jesus' birth, but he begins, first of all, by telling the story of the birth of John the Baptist, the one who prepares the way for Jesus. So the story begins with John the Baptist's father, a guy named Zachariah, who gets a vision from the angel Gabriel while he's in the temple that, he'll, uh, that his wife Elizabeth will give birth to John the Baptist. It ends up uh, being something that causes Zachariah to go silent and unable to speak until John the Baptist is born. After that, six months into Elizabeth's pregnancy with John the Baptist, uh, Gabriel goes to Mary and tells her that the Holy Spirit will um, come upon her and she will become pregnant with the Son of God. Um, And then Mary goes to Elizabeth's house, right? So Elizabeth is about six months pregnant. Mary is just barely pregnant. Um, And they're cousins. And Mary goes to visit Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth sees Mary, John the Baptist in her womb, like jumps with joy and she can feel it. And Elizabeth exclaims that she is blessed that Mary has come to see her. When this happens, Mary gets super excited and then sings or re- sings this song or, or uh, composes or recites this poem. Uh, so if you have your Bibles, we're in Luke chapter 1, beginning with verse 46. 
And Mary said, my soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has set the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. So then Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months and then returned home. This morning, I want to ask the question, why does Mary sing this song. Pretty simple. And I think there are two answers that I would like us to consider this morning. The first is relatively simple. She sings this song because God has chosen her. God has chosen her to do this incredible thing, to participate in his plan for the salvation of the world, that God has chosen her to give birth to Jesus Christ, the Son of God. This song comes when she, um, she's, I think she's like had this experience, right, where Gabriel has told her what's going to happen. And then she goes to Elizabeth, and in a sense, Elizabeth like confirms it for her, right? She sees it from a member of her family, someone she trusts, and the excitement of being a part of this incredible thing that God is doing wells up inside of her. You notice the way the song begins. She says, my soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. The first two lines are just expressions of praise to God. And then the next line, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. God says, God has noticed me God has seen me, God has remembered me, God has included me. Notice how Mary describes herself. She calls herself a humble servant of God. This is really important, I think, to recognize. Um, Mary was a nobody, right? No no one knew Mary. She wasn't special. Uh, Mary didn't come from some grand family. She wasn't rich. She was just sort of like an average young peasant of the time. There was nothing that Mary had done to earn this favor from God. She hadn't, you know, uh, you know, put a business car in in a jar and got drawn for the contest or something. I mean, she didn't like fill out an application and go through rounds of interviews. She was just chosen by God because of his graciousness towards her. And then when you read the rest of this song, you realize that this song is all about what God is doing. If you look at the verbs in the song, basically all of them are things that God is doing, right? Um, God is the one who has done great things. God is the one whose name is holy. It's about God's mercy, about God performing deeds. This is a song where she is 
grateful for what God has done for her. Now, um, I think it's important to say at this point, um, we're Protestants, we're not Catholics, and sometimes we get really uncomfortable talking about Mary, right? Uh, I think for a lot of Protestant traditions, a lot of Protestant people, we've seen what we consider to be excesses uh, from the Catholic Church about Mary, right? Maybe the Catholics are uh, venerate her too much or exalt her too highly or pray to her too much or something. And I think that sometimes makes us uncomfortable about talking about Mary or lifting up Mary as an example. And I think that's probably not the right way to think about it. Um, I think we have a lot more in common with our Catholic brothers and sisters about how we think about Mary than sometimes we think. There are sort of four major doctrines about Mary in Catholic theology. Uh, the first one is that she is the mother of God, right? This is something where Catholics and Protestants very much agree, right? Mary is the mother of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who is God. She carried him in her womb and thus occupies a really unique and important place in the story of our salvation. The next three Catholic doctrines about Mary um, are ones that I think we often get uncomfortable with and we might not think they're not biblical, but I actually think the way to think about these things is that uh, the Bible doesn't say these ideas are wrong, but it also doesn't say they're right. Right? So these are like ways to think about Mary that the Bible leaves open, and I think ways that Christians can sort of reasonably agree or disagree. So Catholics hold to Mary's perpetual virginity. This is the idea that even after she gave birth to Jesus, she continued to be a virgin. Uh, again, something scripture doesn't say one way or the other about. We just don't know for sure. Catholics hold to the next one is the doctrine of Mary's immaculate conception. Uh, sometimes we get confused about this, I think. The, the phrase in like the world of theology, immaculate conception, doesn't refer to Mary's conception of Jesus. It actually refers to uh, Mary, when Mary was conceived. And the idea is that Mary was also conceived without, you know, a dude being involved. Um, and the whole idea of that is to sort of like further remove Jesus from sin by taking that out. Again, this is something that Scripture doesn't tell us one way or the other. The final sort of doctrine about Mary is her bodily assumption into heaven, that Mary didn't physically die, but instead, like we see with Jesus ascending to heaven, or like we see in the Old Testament with Elijah or Enoch, uh, Mary was brought, she was, her body was assumed into heaven. Whether or not we agree with these sort of doctrines, it is clear that Mary has an incredibly important role to play in the story of Jesus, and that she is consistently in Scripture put out as an example for us to follow. Mary's role begins with her as the mother of Jesus, and this is incredibly important for, for so many reasons. We can't get into all of them, but one thing that uh, strikes me about Mary as the mother of Jesus is how, 
how it's this like beautiful mix of ordinary and extraordinary. When God decided, decided, whatever, uh, to become a human, God didn't need to go through the process of, of um, conception and growing in a womb and birth and childhood, right? God could have done it a million other ways, but God chose to do that. And so Mary was the mother of Jesus who carried Jesus in her womb for nine months and gave birth to him and cared for him and changed him and cleaned him and fed him and comforted him when he was crying or when he fell down. And I think there's this beautiful affirmation of the ordinariness of life in that. That God himself was there and experienced it and chose it and went through it. I think for those of you who are, who are pregnant or who are parents, you can understand how, how a child is this incredible mix of ordinary and extraordinary, right? Uh, we were with our, I was with my sister-in-law and her family a few days ago, and, and they have this young child who is like about two, a little less. And there were moments where we're just like amazed at how cute this kid is and, and everything he's doing. And then we're, you know, we're like in awe of him and then we're talking about it. And then we turn around and he's taking the dog bowl and is dumping the food out. Right? And it's this like incredible mix of ordinary and extraordinary that God affirms in our lives. Mary is the mother of Jesus. I also think is really important in a way um, that might not be quite as obvious. And this is something I'm beginning to learn and I, I've heard, I've been thinking about in light of the teaching of a friend and New Testament scholar of mine named Amy Peeler. And that is that um, there are many church and Christian traditions that have this idea, and sometimes it's intentional, sometimes it's not intentional, that because Jesus was a man, men are somehow closer to God or better images of God or something like that. Sometimes this idea is intentional, sometimes it's not intentional, sometimes it's assumed that the, the, the masculinity of Jesus somehow makes men uh, closer to God or more like God. And that is certainly not something we believe here, but I think Mary is an important piece of this puzzle. Because while it's true that Jesus was a man, it's really interesting to think about the fact that because no man was involved in Jesus' conception, Jesus got all of his flesh, all of his, the stuff of his person from Mary. Right? Jesus was entirely from a woman. And when Mary carried Jesus in her womb, that was God in her womb. And that was God in the body of a woman. Right? There's nothing, um, Jesus' maleness doesn't make men closer to the divine. I mean, how much closer to the divine could you get than Mary carrying Jesus in her womb? But Mary is also an important part of the story, not just as the mother of Jesus, but also as a prophet. And this brings us to our second point. Mary sings because God has chosen her, but Mary also sings 
because she sees God accomplishing his justice through what he's doing in her. Throughout this song, you realize that most of this song could apply to a whole host of situations. There's a lot of it that isn't super specific to Mary and her situation. Instead, it's a, it's a proclamation of God's justice. It's a proclamation of God's justice that draws from lots of passages in the, in the Old Testament. And I think Mary really emphasizes two features of God in this story, in the song. First of all, she emphasizes that God is strong. She says that he has performed mighty deeds. He has scattered those who are proud. He has brought down rulers from their thrones. She proclaims that God is strong, that God is mighty, that God is capable, and that God is in control. I think this is one of the sort of most basic affirmations of Christianity, right? That God is a powerful and mighty God. But yet, so many times I wonder if we really believe it, if we really act like it. I think we often go through our lives and we feel like all of the burden to make our lives better or the lives of those we love better is on us. We have this incredible self-sufficiency about us. We feel like we are completely independent and autonomous. But I wonder how our lives would change if we truly believe that God is strong, that God is capable, that God is in control of everything that you are going through. Sometimes it is certainly 100%, I totally agree, really hard to see. But I think we can learn from Mary in an, in an instance where she really sees it clearly, that God is strong and mighty and powerful. But Mary also teaches us that God isn't just strong for the sake of being strong, right? He's, he's not just like a dude who's got big muscles but can't actually lift anything heavy. Instead, God is strong, the song she sings says, for the sake of the humble and the lowly. This song emphasizes that. God has lifted up the humble, she says. God has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. God has scattered the proud and brought down rulers from their thrones. The idea here is that God uses his strength on behalf of those who don't have it. That God notices the people who are poor, who are marginalized, who are hurting, who are neglected, who are lowly, and God uses his strength to lift them up. Now, I think sometimes uh, it's easy for us, as people who live in the wealthiest country in the world, right? And even if we're not rich by the standards of our friends or by the standards of New York City, we are rich in the eyes of the world, it can be really easy to, to just spiritualize this. I know it is for me, especially as a white man with privilege oozing out of my ears, right? 
um, it can be really easy to, to spiritualize this talk of God uplifting the lowly. And on one hand, I think that's good, and I think that's true. God uplifting the lowly includes every single one of us because we are all trapped in our sin and our shame and our despair. We are all burdened by our brokenness and unable to set ourselves free from the captivity in which we find ourselves. And the story of Advent is that God was not content with that situation, but God came and intervened, that God became one of us and all of that sin and brokenness and struggle. He took it on at the cross and he conquered sin and death and Satan and evil. And when we believe in him, we get to participate in that death and resurrection to sin and death with him. And we have a victory over it because of him. However, God uplifting the lowly is not only spiritual, it is also literal. We see this especially when we think about the rest of the Gospel of Luke. Luke, in these first chapters, in many ways, is setting the scene for what is to come. And when we look throughout the ministry of Jesus, we see that he has a particular love and care for the people who are literally poor and literally lowly. God chose Mary, even though she was a nobody. Throughout the ministry of Jesus, we see him hanging out with the outsiders, not with the elite. We see him with sinners and prostitutes. We see him with people of ethnicities that are not valued in that culture. And then in the cross, we see Jesus taking on the systematic powers of sin and oppression in the world and defeating them. God's uplifting of the lowly is both spiritual and literal. And Mary sings because God is using her in this grand story of his justice for all people. So as we come to this Advent season, the invitation for us is to join in these songs with Mary. God has chosen you. Every one of us in this room is blessed by the incredibly rich and deep love of God. He knows you. He has chosen you. Not because you've earned it. Not because you, you know, filled out an application or won a contest. Simply because he loves you. And God is inviting you to participate in this incredible story of his justice for sinners and his justice for the lowly. And God wants us to join in with him. So Hope Jersey City, let's be a people who sing like Mary. Let's sing along with Mary. Let's sing along with Jason. And people who live into and proclaim this beautiful justice of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are so good to us. You are gracious and generous. You are merciful and kind. This morning, Lord, we praise you because you are strong. 
You are mighty and powerful and sovereign, and you are in control of all things, even when things in our life feel out of control. And we thank you, God, that you use your strength on behalf of those who are lowly. We thank you that you have seen us in the lowliness of our sin and that you have brought us out from that pit. And we pray, Father, that you will use us as people who make known this good news of your justice for all. That you will help us to be people who share your particular love for those who are poor and lowly. That you will make us those who reach out to sinners and those who are filled with shame and distress. God, our soul glorifies you, and our, our spirit rejoices in you, our Savior, because you have been mindful of us, your servants. We commit ourselves to you now and always. Amen.